you know, when the prices kind of went a little bit crazy last year, there, there was no difference in the price between organic and non-organic. So uh, in a lot of cases, we just we just put the organic crop into the normal crop and just sell it as normal. We don't even try to get an organic price for it. The news is full of reports from across Europe of extreme heat, wildfires, but also extreme storms. This is affecting everyone, but none so more than farmers. The climate experts tell us this weather is what we can expect for the future due to climate change. Change in practice to minimise greenhouse gases is important, but adaptation is every bit as pressing. This year in Ireland could be described as unusual, and part of it may well be to do with climate change. How well are you adopting to the weather this year? You are listening to the latest episode of The Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. We would really appreciate it if you could listen, follow and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. The extreme weather conditions are affecting large parts of Europe and this will undoubtedly have a knock-on effect on crop production. I'm delighted to be joined again by Tim Bergen, an Irishman farming in northern Poland. Tim farms cereals and potatoes along with other business interests. Tim, I might just first ask you about your harvest and how you're getting on with that at the moment. Well, I would say for cereals, pretty poor because the, we had a dry spell. We had 14 weeks without rain or even, even 15 weeks without rain. Uh, and I was kind of at the critical growing period. So uh, oilseed rape hasn't been affected. It's, it's yielding quite well. Uh, but I think crops like spring barley and that are suffering big time or have suffered big time because they didn't get enough rain. But that would be that's pretty specific to northern Germany and northern Poland. It's not it's not a reflection of of Europe in general. Uh, we would have got a similar dry spell, I think, back in back in kind of May May into, into early June as well. And coincidentally enough, our spring barley is probably the worst crop we have out there. I'd say lo- looking at it at least. Um, so, so in general, yeah. you think the, the there is your your cereals are going to be back quite a bit? Do you think up in your part of the world in comparison to? to that that's what you were thinking before harvest and has that panned out since or what way do you think it's going uh well we didn't start harvesting wheat yet we we might start tomorrow or the next day i think wheat will probably be back one and a half tons per hectare but i'm, I'm just guessing i don't know that um we were surprised when we went into oilseed rape that it did so well because it 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 obviously went through that prolonged dry spell as well but it doesn't seem to have been affected by the drought so uh, we don't know. I know just visually looking at spring barley, I know it's not going to yield as well. I mean, last year spring barley was doing eight, eight and a half tons a hectare, and this year I think we'll be lucky if it does five and a half to six tons a hectare. Right. Okay. That's just, that's a big drop. All right. And what sort of yield? What yeah, sort of yields yeah. are your oilseed rape this year, or, or how far away is that from typical? Three and a half to four tons per hectare is probably where we're going to average out. Okay. Which is. Is not perfect, but for a for a year where where there was no rain, it's pretty good. And it was a it was a very late cold spring here as well. Our temperatures didn't rise until well into May, so we missed out on a, a certain amount of growth period as well. And is that how far down, Tim? Does that extend down into Poland, into Germany? Is it is it goes down a long way? Do you think in, in that kind of dry? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if, if you were to take mean temperatures for this year so far, if you were to take from the first of January to date. Mean temperatures in in Europe are are lower than they sh- than they have been. They, this year has kind of been a particularly cold year, and I know in the last two weeks you've heard people who've been on holidays and they're getting, you know, they're getting forty degrees in the south of Italy. But in reality, Europe has been probably one and a half to two degrees cooler this year than it had been. 
than, than average. And that, that was mainly caused by the fact that we had a, a late cold spring. And if we go back just a little bit to your to your harvest, you might explain maybe to the listeners a little bit about, about your harvest. Do you, you have a number of combine rigs? Do you have one? Do you have, what, sort of a, what sort of a setup do you have to try and get, get your large harvest in? Oh, just one combine. Um, we bought a new class Lexian this year, an 8,700, and it's got a 13.8 meter head. So it's it's able to, it's more than capable of of harvesting what we have to harvest. I think we've around a thousand hectares of combinable crops. Okay, and how far across did that spread over many weeks? Oh, uh, we if if the weather stays dry, we'll be finished in two weeks. With with the maize to come, or do you, or do no, you have maize? We have some maize, but it's it's um, twenty hectares, twenty five hectares of maize, and it's it's organic and it's we'll silage it. I think we'll silage it. We won't combine it. And you have a you have an organic uh, unit on your farm as well, have you? Yeah, we've about 350 hectares in organic now, has has been for the last sort of, well, we went into conversion five years ago, so we're now two years fully organic. Okay, and the output from that, is that in form of grain or is it livestock you're walking off the farm? We've a, a mixture. Um, we've been growing grass seeds on some of it for the last couple of years, grass seeds and clover, which suits organic. So... That's what we've been mainly doing, and then this year, the way the rotation worked, we have maize, and we have we have maize and some barley on organic, and potatoes actually. We've 20, 20 hectares of potatoes on organic. And are you happy with that? How's that working out in terms of the, the organic bit, or where's your big market? Yeah, there, there, it, really, there's no market. You know, there's no there's not much extra price in the when the you know when the prices kind of went a little bit crazy last year. Yeah. There, there was no difference in the price between organic and non-organic. So, uh, in a lot of cases, we just we just put the organic uh, crop into into the normal crop and just sell it as normal. We don't even try to get an organic price for it. On the potatoes, it'll be different. Why are you sticking with organic if it's ended up in the same pile anyway? The subsidies are, are much better per hectare. Okay. The, the subsidies are probably 70% more. So you're getting an extra 70% on the, um, per hectare, you're getting another an extra 70% on the subsidies. So that's why we do it because we've crops like, if you were to look at maize, for example, there's no reason why maize can't be organic. It, it doesn't have any, it doesn't have any requirements in terms of chemicals or, um, fungicide you know it doesn't have a requirement on fungicides insecticides anything like that so it actually suits organic quite well okay so if you can control the weeds you're pretty pretty good in the maze yeah yeah we we did a reasonable job controlling the weeds you have to do it mechanically and it's kind of really tricky to do it and you've got a very very short window to do it but we did it and it's i would say it's semi-successful with the maze maze obviously shoots up anyway and it chokes any weeds so mm. the maze is almost three meters tall and it, it chokes the weeds and we planted the maize after clover so there was enough fertilizer in the ground to get it to to grow and you mentioned with your clover and your grass you're you're combining those for seed area and selling them as organic seed yeah yeah well there's no market really for organic seed so we just combine it and sell it as normal all right okay um so it's to a degree a little bit of subsidy farming to a degree you're better off financially yeah, it really is but it, it it is but it's also part of a I mean, we can see if you look at what happened in the last six to seven years in terms of legislation against chemicals in the EU, and if you compare that to what the plan is over the next four to five years, we're pretty much going to be organic anyway because most of the chemicals are being taken away. It's very true. So 
And there is also the, you have a certain, there is a certain amount of chemicals you're allowed to use on organic. Now they're not very, they're not very good chemicals, but they're chemicals nonetheless. And you're allowed to use them on organic. They're cleared for use. So in my opinion, in 10 years time, the, the difference between those chemicals that you're allowed to use on organic and what's going to be left, uh, what's going to be left for conventional farming is difference is probably going to be very little. That certainly seems to be the direction of travel all over Europe, is right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a process for it. It's for us. It's like an experiment, but it's also something that we have to face up to. And I think if we can, if we can get good over the next few years, that we can get good at mechanical weed control, and we can get good at planting crops that fix nitrogen before crops that need nitrogen, then then we'll be pretty much set up for what whatever legislation is thrown at us. It really looks like the EU are going to try and ban anything that works, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can hear you on that one, all right. I, you've obviously farmed over here and you've farmed across in Poland, two very different uh, regions, I suppose, in terms of rainfall. Do you think you could do what you're doing in Poland back here in Ireland if you were still farming in Ireland? Probably not, no. No, I think you, you've too, too much moisture in Ireland. There's too much... Uh, how would you say even if we get even if we get lots of rain here we also get reasonable temperatures which prevents you know that kind of big problems you get in Ireland with septoria potato blight stuff like that we don't have those issues to contend with here and then the same with you know in terms of cultivations and things like that we wouldn't be able to cultivate the way we do in Ireland we, we well, we'd find it very difficult. Certainly, if you got a wet, a wet back end, you wouldn't be able to do the type of cultivations that we do. Sure, and I suppose weed control uh, during the growing season is dependent, on your scenario, it's dependent on dry conditions to, for for the, the weed to be scuffled out and then die afterwards, rather than scuffled from one spot to another. Maybe in a wet conditions here in Ireland. Yeah, 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 for sure. There's, there are big differences, you know. And, we get a lot of sunshine here. We get a lot of UV light. So it's, it's even if the temperatures are not that high, it's still quite easy to kill weeds. You mentioned um, potatoes there, Tim, and I know you, you have a, a number of, of potatoes, conventional and organic, I, I, I presume, still. Um, what way are the potatoes looking this year for you? Uh, right now, they look quite well. But if you asked me that question two weeks ago, I would have been pretty downbeat about it because we hadn't had any rain. So from planting all the way up until two weeks ago, we'd had zero rain. Um, we, sti- we still managed to get the potatoes to meet in the middle, to get the rows to meet in the middle. But they were looking at, you know, they kind of went into flower. In my opinion, they went into flower too quickly. So we were we were we were spraying them with liquid nitrogen twice a week to keep them green and keep them keep them growing and then finally we did get rain and now they yeah they look they look pretty good right now and it, it, the the market outlet you have for that if i remember rightly and it could be wrong here now it's it's mostly into the processing market is it yeah i think the the majority 80% of what we have will go for french fries for mcdonalds there's a bit of a change this year, uh, Tim, across Europe in terms of the processors' attitude, I suppose, towards um, towards the supply or the, the supply into them of that kind of potatoes. Uh, in terms of the contracts they were offering, have gone up quite a lot. Has that happened for you as well? Yeah, yeah. The contract price is up by uh, what's it would be up by more than fifty percent year on year. Uh, and in talking to those, is it is that a supply issue, Tim, or is it? a realization of the cost structure or where do you think that's coming from? 
Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole range of factors. It's like there's so many factors involved in this, and none of them really could have been predicted. I mean, the first one was last year when the price of fertilizer went extremely high. The the factories, the processors knew immediately that they weren't at the races in terms of being able to compete with with other crops. So price of wheat had gone up the price of the price of grains in general had gone up and it didn't make any sense for a farmer to plant potatoes based on the the old contract prices and then there were other issues at play as well one of the things that the factories were caught out a little bit on was when when covid was over when covid finished there was a much much bigger demand in processed potatoes than they expected okay and nobody would have predicted that so there the demand for french fries for example is far greater now in 2023 than it was in 2019 prior to covid so the processors didn't no one was expecting that and then you know the third thing wasn't probably no different in ireland is is that there are no young people going into the industry there are no there are no young people entering the business and certainly there are no young people starting out growing potatoes, that's for sure. So, you know, in, in that period from 2019 to 2023, a certain amount of people exited the business. Which which reduced the, reduce, reduces the overall supply, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one of many factors that all, all happened at the same time. And as well then, this year, 2023, the, the main potato growing area in Europe is, is effectively a line from Holland across northern Germany and, and across northern Poland. That's, there are more potatoes growing there than anywhere else. And that area has been, first of all, it had a cold spring, a very cold spring, followed by extreme drought, you know, a really, really long dry period. So... That that in itself is uh, also uh, it's also going to going to leave. In my opinion, it's going to leave potatoes in a short supply. Certainly on the processing side, we'll leave them in short supply. In your own in your own backyard and your own crops that you have there, do you think you said they've improved quite a lot? Do you think they've improved enough to bring you up to average yields? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the whole secret here with with potatoes is to get a big enough canopy. When you get a big enough canopy, you don't really care whether it rains or not again, because the, the canopy is what will fill the tubers. Okay. And, and you're obviously fairly well set up with irrigation as well, I presume, are you? Yeah. Yeah. We were irrigating as well. Uh, not everything. We didn't have the capacity to irrigate everything, but we were irrigating. And that kind of backfired on us a little bit because where we were irrigating is now quite wet. In terms of you looking ahead then for you've, your your harvest is obviously not complete. You've all the wheat to do as yet. And you're, that's probably, is that your last crop to finish up on, is it? Yeah, wheat, wheat will be the last. Yeah, we're going to finish, hopefully with two, three more days, finish all seed rape. Um, and then we'll go into wheat, wheat or spring barley. I'm not sure which. Might, might just take the spring barley out first. And maybe looking ahead then to the harvest 24. Obviously, you'll need to get this one out of the way first, but... Obviously, rape is probably not too far in the corner to be putting that back in again. Do you have any anything, any any plans in place in terms of changing your cropping or doing anything different next year? No, not really. I haven't even put a lot of thought into it because the you know the whole grain price situation is pretty fluid as well. Because I was a couple of weeks ago, I was of the opinion that we wouldn't plant any all-seed rape because the price of rape was quite low that price then lifted a little in the last two weeks so that might change it and then 
the other thing is we can clearly see that the oilseed rape is not affected by drought to the same extent that other crops are, are affected by it. Holding up an awful lot better. Um, yeah. I can just ask you in terms of your spring cropping coming in, because you, you obviously have a good bit of spring cropping between your spring barley, your your maize you were talking about, and, and your potatoes as well. Cover crops. How do, do you plant cover crops? Do you like cover crops? Or are they part of your system? We do. So but the only cover crops we'll plant this year will be for the fields that will have potatoes next year. So we'll plant uh, field radish and we'll plant something that fixes nitrogen as well. Um, there, there's no EU program this year. As I understand, there's no there's no mandatory program to have a cover crop this year. We used to have like 20% cover crops going into the winter, but when the shortage of grain came last year, they the EU sort of shut that program down. So for 20, for this autumn, there's no program for, for cover crops. And you don't see see them as worthwhile anyway? You don't need to be paid for them, do, do you think? Yeah, yeah. well, for before potatoes, uh, they're beneficial, so we plant them anyway. But in terms of putting a cover crop in and not planting a winter crop, that's probably, that would be foolish for us because the winter crop is going to withstand the dry weather better than the, the spring crop that follows the cover crop. Well, I suppose over here, there, there's certainly a, more of a, um, a thought process around, uh, you know, the soil benefits and capturing a bit of... Uh, uh, a bit of carbon through the uh, biomass of the of the um, of the plant and putting that back into the ground to all be helpful in in the longer term. Yeah. Not, not not something that you gather up immediately, but something that might be there in the longer term, I suppose. Yeah, but Ireland is massively different to every other country, and in, in that Ireland takes the straw off the field. So it's and it, that that's massively different. And a cover crop would never would never replace this, you know, the straw that had been taken off. If you're if you're in terms of um, carbon. You mentioned, and maybe just a final question to you, Tim, um, you mentioned um, grain price, and I know you're kind of in and out to Ukraine a little bit. What's your thoughts on grain price? How do you see it panning out, or is it just too volatile to to predict any more than about two or three, a week ahead? Yeah, you're right in saying it's too volatile to predict any more than a week ahead, but the only reason that the prices have lifted a little in the last two weeks is because the Russians are bombing the Ukrainian port facilities. That's that's the only reason. There's no other reason that grain prices are lifting. Um, we still have the same numbers that we had before the Russians started bombing the ports in terms of there's way, way, way too much grain in store in Europe. So... You know, there's last year's crop in an awful lot of cases. Farmers of last year's crop, merchants of last year's crop still hasn't been sold. And then feeding into that is our truckloads of grain and railway cars full of grain coming across from Ukraine. So there won't be any shortage of grain, but it's how to predict the price would be um, how to predict the price would be the, the the big question and it's at the moment the markets are spooked because of the russian aggression but if the russians didn't bomb those ports the price of grain would have dropped steadily over the last probably three weeks it would have kept dropping because it was in a steady decline and it only started to lift when that aggression started so if that hadn't started the 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 prices would have kept dropping because there's no shortage of grain anywhere no one should be under any illusions there. There is no shortage of grain. There's grain everywhere. Silos are full. Stores are full. You know, and crops in in Europe. There's, you know, crops are reasonably good. So, 
Yeah, there was a lot of Polish farmers ended up buying a lot of Ukrainian grain, and I believe a lot of that's still in store. Um, yeah, and and that's 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 probably a bit of an overhang. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was more Polish mer- merchants were doing it to the and, and upset a lot of the Polish farmers because it's it's particularly close to the Ukrainian border in that kind of whole eastern part of Poland. The the Polish farmers were pretty upset about it because merchants had bought in the grain and sat on it, hoping that the price would rise, and in, instead the price just went down, down, down. I mean, you can buy barley X combine in Ukraine right now for eighty euros a ton. Yes, really. Yeah, yeah. Right, geez, you could put a, a even eighty euros. Well, whatever, even even fifty euros a ton on top of that in terms of transport still makes it cheap grain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think probably eighty plus. 80 plus 40 would have it in the middle of Poland somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's still... No, I, I, don't, I don't think under the current legislation they're allowed to do it, but it's it's still happening. It's it's for sure it's coming in. It's supposed to only come into Poland and leave. It's supposed to come in and, and leave out through the port of Gdansk or Gdynia, but I don't think... And I'm not sure how they can enforce that. That's a bit of a sobering thought, all right, and, and certainly uh, with... with Across here in Ireland, I presume you're no different, really, uh, in terms of there's a lot of uh, expensive inputs bought. Um, yields are OK, but not not record breaking and margins are very much squeezed, certainly over here in Ireland. I presume is it similar in Poland? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most significant thing with with most farmers in this part of the world is, is everybody bought expensive fertilizer. Everybody, nobody bought cheap fertilizer. And that's the most significant thing. And very few people sold crops in advance. So uh, I, I think most uh, most cereal farmers are looking at making a, they know they're going to make a loss this year. And depending on what your exposure was to the markets, it could be a, it could be substantial loss. But I haven't heard anyone saying that they'll make a profit on a on a cereal business this year. Yeah, that's uh, that's sobering. We 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 we'll try we'll try and uh, uh, finish on something relatively positive, maybe rather than that, because it's uh, it's it's a pretty sobering thought, I suppose, really. But I suppose in terms of the um, your 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 harvest, you're 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 well on track at least anyway. You're you've got the grain in in reasonably. Uh, dry moistures, I presume, have you? And you're you, you've you've some uh, nice weather ahead of you, have you? Weather kind of looks a little bit mixed. It, we it's showing a lot of rain, but it's not actually getting to us. So fingers crossed, it'll it'll keep like this. I mean, we're we're able to start harvesting early in the morning. We don't have to wait. We can start harvesting at half eight in the morning. I think there is. We probably will get some rain, but hopefully not too much. Well, to look, Tim, I wish you certainly all the best in, in, in your harvest and I hope it goes really well for you with any great break yeah. and you, you get it all into the shed. And listen, thanks very much for your time. I know you're very busy with lots of things going on. So again, thanks for your time. We'll, we'll, um, we'll catch up with you again if you're if you're willing uh, somewhere maybe in September or October. Yeah, same to you and best wishes to everyone back home. So that's it for this week. And my thanks to Tim for joining me on the show. Join me next week when I talk about the stubble cultivations and where it should be carried out by farmers. A date for your diary is Friday, September the 8th, when we will have the Crops Forum in the Kilishi Hotel in Nice. We will cover a number of topics at the forum, including new varieties, agronomy for the autumn, the new MAC or climate change model for tillage farmers, and also a discussion forum with stakeholders around the future of the tillage industry. So finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague, And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.